Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. This week we have Pat and Mariah Earls on the show. Now Pat and Mariah run Trinity Equine Services in Midland, Texas. Their program hosts a whole slew of performance horse rehabilitation services to include a superior saltwater spa. Now in this episode, both Mariah and Pat tell their story of their upbringing. Throughout Mariah's upbringing, she explains her passion for rehabilitation and fitness for horses. Pat grew up in the oil industry and his focus has been more on the horsemanship side of things. Together, they have fostered their passions to grow Trinity Equine Services. They offer some amazing services to keep your horses healthy and performing at their best. Now, should you feel the content of this episode is valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is... Pat and Mariah Earls. Pat and Mariah, how are you guys doing this morning? We're doing great. How are you? Good. How are you doing, sir? Good. So before we get rolling here and too deep into your testimony, I just want to take time to thank you guys on behalf of everybody at Let Freedom Reign. I know you guys got a very, very busy schedule between roping and, and your newly started business. So I know recently you guys started with the, the rehabilitation of horses. You guys want to tell me a little bit about what's going on around the barn this week? Yes, sir. So we had the amazing opportunity to purchase the uh, Superior Saltwater Spa business from also fellow uh, Truth Salary team member, Fallon Jordan. And she approached us with this opportunity and we had prayed a lot about it. And it was crazy the way that it came up and, and the timing about it and everything. And we got to sit down and talk about it and decided that we were going to purchase it. And then we would start to also incorporate some other business opportunities along with it that we know have helped our horses that we've had some success with. So as things have been kind of hectic around here, getting all that changed over and switched out and started up and running over here with us and the things that we've been kind of doing with it versus what Fallon had going on with it being mobile. But it's it's been it's been a little hectic. We've finally kind of gotten settled into a little bit of a routine now. So it's it's been nice getting that done. Yeah, say just in time for the holidays when everything's nuts for everybody, right? Exactly, exactly. And that, and the, between the holidays and the rain that we've had, it's it's been a little slower than what it did when we first kind of got it started up. But that's okay. We're looking forward to next year and really seeing what what's going to come from it. Yeah. Speaking of the weather, I was out in Texas, so beginning of October, and uh, I think I hit about the one week that it was dry. It was terribly humid because of the rains just before us. And then after we had left, it sounds like the rain hadn't quit probably till about now for you guys. Exactly. We had we got hit some more with what, uh, Wednesday, wasn't yeah. it last week? Wednesday, we had about another inch or so. I think uh, I think altogether in the last 45 days, we've had close to a foot of rain. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, for a desert. Yes. That's a lot of rain. We haven't, West Texas hasn't been getting hit as hard as parts of East Texas have been, but we we don't get any rain. so. It just stands in big puddles and everything runs all over the road. They are having massive flooding where it's pretty destructive. That's incredible. 
Well, if you guys want to send any of that rain our way, please, uh, we'll take any and all of we it. We want you can take. Yes, you can saying. have all of it. We're done. <laughs> our typical year is there's a dry season and then there's a burning season. That's about all we get for seasons out here. Here it is November, and we've had so much rain that we have a huge mosquito problem. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh, that was crazy. Yeah, I know. I opened the so the first night we were out there in Texas, it was Sunday evening, and I I swear I opened the trailer for a tenth of a second, right, just enough to get in and. God, there was hundreds of mosquitoes in our trailer. I spent the next 30 minutes dancing around that trailer trying to clean things up so I could sleep in peace. <laughs> it's, it's bad. <laughs> it was a mess. Good stuff. So a lot of this show is about, you know, horses and how horses have helped people throughout their lives and, and people's journey and, and just the life lessons learned. And, and the goal in it is to try to help other people, you know, maybe change their tide or change their perspective on things. And if you guys don't mind sharing, we'll start with Mariah first. You want to get a, give a little history about who you are and how you got into horses and, and kind of the path traveled till till meeting Pat? Yes. Sir. Well, so I was born and raised here in, in West Texas, here in Midland. And uh, my mom, she I didn't really have a choice when it came to horses. <laughs> she uh, she was still competing and, and exercising horses and training and breaking colts and everything while she was pregnant with me. So I kind of jokingly tell people that I was born on the back of a horse, but uh, as soon as I came out of the hospital, my baby pictures, I was horseback. I've been riding and competing uh, since I was five years old. And I started uh, training my own horses probably at around 10 with the help of my mom. And that was going to little play days and the little jackpots and stuff that we have out here. I eventually led up into junior rodeos and high school rodeos and uh, lots of AJs and did a few of the West Texas rodeos out here. I've done a few UPRA rodeos. I've done barrel racing, pole bending, cutting, tied goat, now broken into team roping and absolutely love it. Don't want to look back on any of the other stuff I've done. It's Team roping is so much fun. I've had my fair share of hit or misses on a lot of stuff and I've had some amazing horses that I was kind of stupid and screwed up with my opportunities with them and I've lost some really good horses. So it's it's it changed my perspective probably about the time I started high school rodeo and I had the opportunity to have a diamond in the rough kind of scenario. He was a, he was an incredibly well-bred Martha Six Moons horse that he was, he was a pro caliber horse that I started high school rodeo and on. And it was nothing for us to go out and win a, win the barrels by three tenths of a second faster than everybody else. And he was 20, 19 seconds on poles. He was incredible. And uh, he, the girl that had him before me, she was lucky to run in the three or four D with him. And it just, and nobody knew the potential that that horse had. And when I got him, everybody couldn't believe the the massive turnover that he had. But it was at one high school rodeo. He finished out, I think he ran a 20.3 or something. And we came out of the arena. And that was the last time I competed on him. He was done. It, it kind of, it set me back because it, I won't say I was arrogant about everything and where he had me. But I kind of felt like I was untouchable. And when that happened, it really knocked me down quite a bit. I realized that I hadn't been taking care of him like I should have been. I was taking advantage of what I had and I didn't I didn't treat it like I should have. And looking back, that was a huge mistake. I should have been better about my opportunity that I had with him, especially as young as he was. I went to try to rehab him, had no idea about trying to take care of that sort of injury that he had. He tore his suspensory ligament and his deep digital flexor tendon. He he ripped them. I think it was over 50% tear in both. Oh, geez, what a devastating injury. It was it was bad. He The horse could never stop. He couldn't. He could not stop for anything. 
and that was the way that he was broke. I, I tried getting him to, to handle us to stop and he just, he never would take one. The, after we came out of that run, he sat down and he stopped and I, I knew something was wrong that immediately. And I got off of him and I, I sat there and looked at him and he was just holding his right front out. And I thought, oh my gosh, what did he break his leg? What happened? Cause he finished his run. Mm-hmm. He had me, he had me in the top five in barrels. And I think I was sitting third in poles to go to state. And he, he was just standing there with that leg out. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I was crying, left him in the alleyway, ran up in the stands. And I told mom, I was like, something's wrong with easy. Something's wrong. He, he can't walk. He can't move. He's holding his leg out. And that's when we, you know, we hauled him to the vet that evening and we found out what had happened to him. But it, it, it hurt and it knocked me down, brought me, like I said, I wasn't arrogant about it, but I, I guess I was kind of living on a little high on the hog and where he had me and it knocked me on my butt. <laughs> it was a big reality check. Went through some horses trying to find one that could carry me to state because I was qualifying. I got bumped down. I didn't make it to state in barrels because I lost my position but or lost my standings, but uh, I did make it to state in poles. And it, it was hard finding a horse of that caliber, you know, that, that fast and hoping to drive with them. But we we did good. I was going to say, in listening to your testimony to this point, you know, the first things that come to my mind is going through that experience at such a young age and, and kind of mm-hmm. celebrating some of that confidence, I guess you could say, in your success. And a lot of people, I think, do take that mentality towards horses, especially if they find a good one. They don't realize how good of a horse they have. Exactly. And, and I can't say that they abuse the animal, but they sure as heck take advantage of them, right? And don't necessarily right. give back. And that's, in some, in most cases, I would say that's no fault to the human being, because a lot of people don't know what it takes to give back, right? Exactly. And they might look at the relationship as kind of a one-way street, which is a little unnerving, but, you know, part of this podcast as well is trying to trying to educate folks. And, mm-hmm. and you having the success that you have, the horse suffering the devastating injury, and, you know, as you described, kind of a reality check of the type of horse person you were at the time, you know, can you kind of share share your perspective on, on the lessons that you learned and maybe the education that you pursued after the fact, you know, so in case there is somebody out there, maybe with similar circumstances or, or running and gunning and not taking care of their animals, maybe they can learn that life lesson and maybe save a horse or two. Oh, exactly. I, you know, I had this routine where, you know, everything from saddling them up to warming them up, you know, I thought a good five minutes of just trotting them around and loping a few circles will suffice and then taking them down and blowing them down an alleyway and expecting them to go out and run and win, you know, riding them. I, I would ride during the week, but I wouldn't ride them and condition them for what I was going to use them for. So, and I think that along with the way that he had been shod, it is, it, it was a big eye opener because it made me sit down and look at a lot of stuff. And my mom as well at the time of the things that we were doing with our horses. So we, we changed our conditioning program. We did a major work over on our feeding program. And then we found an incredibly good horseshoer out here in West Texas that he sat down with me and he taught me a lot about how important uh, improper shoeing is on a horse and how it can completely ruin one versus how when you take the time to shoe one correctly, the way that they need to be shot and you sh- you fit the way he always worded it to me was you fit your your shoe to the foot you don't fit the foot to the shoe you know you shoe that horse as it needs to be shot and I say that because we found out afterwards after the fact the reason part of why Easy Moon's tour both his deep digital flexor and his suspensory ligaments was because he was shot improperly and he was incredibly unbalanced he needed a wedge on one foot and we couldn't find anybody that would put a wedge on one foot to help him out. Mm-hmm. We did later on after he tore, but what was the point then, you know, other than yeah, just the damage has been done. It was done. So we, we sat down and we figured out, you know, what, what we were kind of looking at. We learned more about tendon and ligament injuries and what all goes into it. 
the rehabilitation process and where you're supposed to start with that and how you get that going. And from there, it took me on to massaging. It took me on to chiropractic work. It took me on to the conditioning part and the feeding. It took me on to everything that we needed to learn to do better. I'll tell you, it's incredible because kind of my journey, the horse that I have colicked, oh, two, maybe three years ago now. And I mean, we went full tilt. Uh, He went up to UC Davis. He was put on the table, surgery, everything cleaned out. And that's what kind of started my pursuit in education on a lot of this stuff and paying attention to equine diet and digestion and hydration and starting to look at the horse as more of a total package. I think a lot of times people buy a horse with an intention that, you know, hey, I want to be a team roper. So I'm just going to buy a horse and go team roper. You know, I want to go pole bending or barrel racing or whatever discipline it is. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Not every animal's cut out for that stuff. And you got to take an animal for what what their talent and abilities are. And when I try to talk to folks, I tell them, hey, you know, there's a reason football players are these ungodly sized human beings, right? And there's, there's, <laughs> right. there's a reason that a basketball player is six and seven feet tall, right? And a, and a track runner or a sprinter, you know, runs as fast as they are. They have something that they have an innate ability and a God-given talent to do. And a lot of it on us is pursuing the education to see that potential in the horse mm-hmm. and kind of get, get the most out of them. Exactly. I've been terribly excited about it. I mean, that's kind of how I got into the, that's how I got in with True Saddlery, actually, is I was working on a project with a vet out here and we we're talking about how tack impacts a horse's performance. You know, we're starting to breed these horses mm-hmm. a lot more compact and a lot more athletic. And and I don't think Western tack especially is standing up to it. You know, I think we have these old, humongous ranch saddles, you know, that are terribly heavy. And I had designed what I thought would be a decent saddle and started asking around and got a hold of Truth. And Truth said, absolutely, we'll take on this project. And we've been riding the saddle for almost two years now, and we've had a lot of success with it. And I think it, it bodes well, but I think there's a lot of changes to be made in the horse industry right now. I think it's an exciting time to belong to the industry. Exactly. However, with the advent of social media and YouTube and all this stuff, you got to be very, very leery of your sources of information, right? Because you have to. Yeah, somebody bought a horse and threw a bale of hay in a, in a round pen or whatever to feed it and is now a digestive expert on horses. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of Facebook vets out there nowadays. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you got to pay attention, right, to who the source is. Exactly. And that's why, you know, when... I had seen Truth Salary a few years ago, I think probably when they were first first coming out on the market, and I didn't know anything about them. And it's not to say that I, you know, I wanted to overlook them, but it was just one of those things. I was like, okay, cool. It's another saddle company, you know, hope hope they'll do well. And, you know, I think we were at Andrews at a team open, wasn't it? And that was when we saw a brochure sitting on the table. So I had known about them, but it wasn't until I kind of really started getting active on Instagram and uh, Facebook that I started seeing more about their saddles and kind of more about what they do. And I saw the the custom fit and I thought, man, I wonder how that's going to work. You know, when you get a horse that you fit a saddle for, but you know, you got another horse that's built completely different. How's that going to work? Cause I don't want to have just one saddle for one horse. And the more that I kind of started digging into it and started researching, and that was going directly through truth stuff and everything that they have out there. Mike's done an amazing job of making sure that everybody sees how the fit kits work, what they do and how they build the saddle and design it and everything. But I started reading and researching all of that. And I I was foaming at the mouth to get my hands on a fit kit and get in contact with these guys and get my horses fitted for a saddle because I could not wait to see the difference from the horses that I have with the saddle sores on their backs from such improper fitting saddles. I mean, even from where on their the lower part of their, what I call their lower part of their back, more closer towards their butt, even saddle marks that they have there from where things have just fit them so horribly wrong. Yeah. No, it's incredible. The uh, education, the technology, I mean, 
it truly is a mad science <laughs> when you get into it. Not every animal is the same. And, and I've done, I was actually at a demonstration last week for a couple of local trainers out here. And Mike had sent me a couple molds and, and one was of my mm-hmm. horse's top line and one was of another, another horse. And I tell people, hey, you go out and shop a saddle and you need a full quarter horse tree and, you know, your horse is 15 to 1200 pounds, team roping horse. You know, both of these horses in this mold, these two molds represented here are as described the same exact horse. But now let's put their molds right. on the ground and let's throw a tree on top of them. And you and see that, them. yeah, you are not even close to being the same fit, you know, so exactly, it's really, really tough to buy saddles off of a shelf per se, right? And get a good fit. Oh, we were looking yesterday at our local feed store. I hadn't been in there in a long time. And not to say that the saddles that they have are cheap. They they are good. Some were incredibly well-known saddle makers. I'm not going to mention them, mm-hmm. but some of them were incredibly well-known saddle makers. And I stepped back and I just happened to look at that tree and I thought, having my truth now that I had fit for my head horse, I would not put that saddle. And it was a almost a $4,000 saddle. I would not put that saddle on my head horse if you paid me to. I wouldn't. That's incredible. Because I, it's not going to fit him. It, yeah. With the stuff that he's got going on with him, too, that I know about, which is another reason why I went with truth, I, you could not pay me any amount of money to put another saddle on my horse because I don't know what, I have no idea what kind of stuff he's going to have to sustain and go through again, not having that saddle on his back. And that's what I tell people is that so many people that I run into, right, they, it's almost like saddle trading, right? They buy a saddle that don't work for a month, they take it back, they buy another one, they buy another one, mm-hmm. they sell it. And I said, and all the time you got invested into this piece of equipment in trying to find the right one. If you just took a step back and go with this fit kit, and by no stretch is this a sales pitch at all, because I tell people it's your animal right. and your choice and your financial situation, right? I ain't getting paid for any of this stuff. What I care about is the animal. You know, Truth has really made this whole process very, very affordable in the grand scheme of things when you start talking yeah. about truly, truly custom-built saddles. And I mean, we've ridden a snot out of mine for almost two years now, and it holds up well, and it's light, and it performs well. And, you know, my horse does does really, really good with it. And I kind of stumbled upon him, you know, in that project, but... I'm very, very glad that I did because Mike's Mike's treated me very, very well and always taking the time to answer questions, no mm-hmm. matter if it's a question of mine or somebody's asking me, you know. Right. They're definitely a blessing for the for the Western industry, in my opinion. They are. And they're, you know, that, that goes right along and, you know, to the conditioning with these horses too. We have these amazing tools now that we can use to make our horses better and, and help them in the long run while they're performing to the best of their ability and giving us their all. I mean, I have horses nowadays that I never even would have dreamt of having in my childhood. Isn't it incredible? It is. And the fact that, you know, back then, when I look at some of the tack that I still have, and I think, man, I put that on my horse, and they went out and competed, performed like they did for me with that, holy smokes. It kind of makes me realize how much heart that they, how much heart and try that they have. That's what I was going to say. They are extremely forgiving, extremely forgiving for what we put them through. Exactly. So that's why when we got the opportunity, I know we've kind of gotten off track here, but that's why when we got the opportunity to to purchase Superior Saltwater Spot, we kind of, we jumped on it because we, we, I've had my horses in it. I know what it's done for them. I wish I would have had it when Easy Moons tore his suspensory ligament Mm -hmm. because I think it would have been a huge contributing factor into possibly getting him back to where I could compete on him again. Yeah. But it's a major thing for us to have, especially out here in West Texas, to be able to help horses with, to be able to treat them with, and to help educate people about what it does and what it can help with. And we'll definitely get into it here in the latter part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I did want to circle back to your history, and, and you talked about you know Easy Moon suffering that injury, and, and you yes, kind sir. of getting back on track and pursuing your education. Mm-hmm. 
if you want to take us into lessons learned after the fact, you know, and how it changed your course of horsemanship or the way you treated horses. So after Easy Moons, um, after we'd kind of gone through all of that, I spent a lot of times with the vets out here in, in La Mesa. And I have to thank Dr. Michelle and Dr. Casey. Those were the two girls that I worked with the most and sat down and, and learned with them and saw, you know, we, we talked forever about what we could do, what our options were what we could possibly try to do to get him back. And we tried to bring him back. I tried like I tried my butt off to bring him back and it it didn't work. I made one more run on him and he fell apart again and he actually ended up turning worse. It it completely and totally ended his career. But we turned him out and my mom and I went on this big long journey and I kid you not, it was a journey to try to find another barrel horse. We spent a bunch of money <laughs> on another horse that he's incredibly nice, but he also had some, some minor injuries and stuff that was, that he was having to deal with that now we had the knowledge that, you know, we, we did to try to take care of it and keep him going. And we kept him going for a really long time, but with him, it was just one thing after another. So I finally, I got tired of him. I told my mom, I said, I'm done. I want out of this. I almost got completely done with horses. I said, I was tired of everything that was going on with them. And it seemed like no matter what we were doing, that something else would go wrong. And she said, don't get out of it. Take this bay mare. I'll take the Palomino. So we traded horses and I ended up with the little bay mare called Alina Jolina. I called her Joe baby and Joe baby took me. She was three years old coming for, and she was cruising in the one D with me and she was outstanding. And I was so excited about her. And we had the coolest bond and, and the weirdest relationship ever, but she was one that I really got to bond with. And it's, it was cool to get to see a horse that when I walked out to her in the pasture, she would just perk up and she'd come to me and she had this light in her eye and it made me feel good because it, it made me feel like I was doing something right for my horse. And uh, she, come to find out, she actually had kissing spine, has kissing spine. So it's, uh, it was severe enough for her that everything else that I had gone through with easy moons went out the window and I go, okay, great. Here's another thing we've kind of got to get educated on and see what we can do about this. Uh, there is a surgery out there for it that can actually help with it, but hers was severe enough that the surgery wouldn't have done a bit of good to her. So I had to turn her out, but she's a brood mare now, and uh, she's she's doing really well. Um, I've got a baby on the ground out of her now that's going to be incredibly nice. She's going to be really nice really coming up. But it it got to where it felt like anything that we were doing with our horses, it was another learning step. It was another something that we had to learn from and build on to say, okay, we know how to deal with this now. Now what do we do to treat it? What do we do to help them out? What can we do to prevent this from happening again on this horse or another horse? So that's where we, you know, we kind of got to sit back and learn about, you know, how to rehab horses with a whole bunch of different kinds of injuries. Because we got, we got all the oddball injuries. I'll say it sounds like you've experienced quite a few. Yes, sir. We've had broken <laughs> legs. We've had horses with stifle issues, kissing spine, torn suspensory ligaments, torn tendons. We've had muscle sprains. We've had plenty of horses uh, that get caught up in fences and rip their shoulders open or get turned out with a stud horse that I had at the time that almost ended up getting gutted. So it's we get all the weird stuff. If it happens, it's going to happen to us. So it sounds like you own quite, quite a few of the one in a million horses, huh? <laughs> it does. Yes, sir. Good stuff, good stuff. So, Pat, you still there on the line, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm here. I would like to take a second with you and kind of go through your history, and if you don't mind, you know, introducing who you are and where you came from and how you got to Mariah. Sure, sure. That's uh, not a problem. Well, uh, 
My name is Pat Earls, and I'm from the little town of Snyder, Texas. Uh, grew up, uh, grew up there, and uh, the way I got into to horses and uh, and everything like that, it, it, it was really a different, a lot different trail than than Mariah. Uh, I didn't grow up around horses. My father, uh, he worked in the oil field, and uh, so we. We were in a small Texas town with not a whole lot to do, so the closest program that they could find to keep us kids busy was the Boy Scouts. So uh, I grew up in the Boy Scouts, and uh, everything that we did every summer, we always looked forward to is we'd go down to the Scout Ranch down in Fort Davis, Texas, spend time down there, and you know, backpack and hang out and and do all the stuff that that uh, was just great, you know, hitting the trails and spending weeks just out doing nothing but just walking around and camping and having a good time. They had horses there. And of course the Boy Scouts was a lot different back then than it is now. It was pretty much, they had 20 or 30 head of horses. And if you wanted to ride horses, you'd go down there and uh, pretty much slap you on a horse and turn you loose with it and say, here you go. You know, there's 26,000 acres. Enjoy. Yeah. How about it? Good luck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not anything like it was now, you know, you know, you didn't have to have, the quote-unquote brain buckets on or anything like that they just turn you loose and just let her rip and let you figure life out exactly and and uh so it was we always enjoyed doing that and then uh, as i got older i started working down there for summers and i uh, spent most of my summers actually helping a gentleman named charlie ross he, he's since passed away but he was always into the rock climbing and rappelling did that for years and um as I got older, uh, got more intrigued with horses, and uh, just kind of worked out. I applied for a position as a wrangler down there, which is nothing more than a glorified feed boy. But, you know, loved it. Got to be around all the horses and, and you know, thought, hey, I'm 15 years old and I'm feeding horses. By God, I'm a cowboy. So, yeah. so uh, well, was that summer down there, there's a ranch down the road from, from, the, from the Boy Scout Ranch down there. Uh, that had uh, a bunch of horses for sale. I bought a bought a mare off of the the Joe Branch uh, for took all of my paycheck from the summer and borrowed some money from my father and bought a mare for eight hundred twenty dollars. I got here. We got didn't have a place to keep her. Didn't have trying to put her in or anything. Didn't even have a saddle to go on her back. But I got a horse. I'm a cowboy. So I uh, got her back to Snyder. You know, and, and I was that. Typical green horde kid, you know, that didn't didn't know nothing about horses. This mare, she was four years old. She was huge. I mean, just monster. She was not super tall. She's, she, you know, 15, two or so, somewhere in there, but just white. I mean, when she looked at, when she would walk to you or walk away from you, it looked like a truck was coming at you. She was just a monster <laughs> horse, just huge. I, I literally, and, and this is not an exaggeration, I literally could get on her bareback. And go to sleep on her, and that's how wide her back was. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, she was huge, and and just you know, and just sweet as can be, just an amazing horse. So you know, I and I rode for a while, and love for horses grew stronger, and decided I wanted to start team riding. You know, I'm a cowboy now, and I was a very much quintessential team roper. I just picked up a rope and like, well, hell, I can I can figure this out. This can't be too hard. That's when you're up over your head and throw at it and started uh, 
talking to some people that around town that didn't really know, but I knew that we're in the know, trying to find out some roping lessons and stuff like that. You know, and, and uh, kind of went through the channels like, like everybody seems to do. You know, was, I went and talked to a guy, and he said, "Well, can you ride a horse?" And I was like, "Of course I can ride a horse." What are you talking about? I can throw a leg over one. And you know, got an education in about the first five minutes of my team roping practice that I could not ride a horse. <laughs> Uh, then he asked me, can you swing her up? What are you talking about? Of course I can swing her up. I can put my hand, my arm up over my head and make it in a circle. Mm-hmm. Down the first 15 seconds of my, my roping lesson that I couldn't, I couldn't swing her up either. So I got to spend some time on the dummy and spent some time trying to learn how to ride horses, which is, you know, that's been over 30 years ago. And I've come to the conclusion in my life that is, especially with my wife, um, helping me that uh, riding horses is something that you never, ever, ever really get accomplished as, as being uh, finished. You know, it, it's something you're always learning. I couldn't agree more with you. Always different. It's, and, about, and, and horses are such an incredible animal because there's nothing like them in the world. There's, it, they're not cars. They're not motorcycles. They're, if, you, if you can drive a car or a truck or a motorcycle or a piece of heavy equipment, you can drive any of them. Pretty much. I mean, I'm not so much with any equipment. That's I'll kind of get into that part of my life later on. But, uh, you know, you take a car, for example. You learn how to drive a car. You can, you can drive a car. Each horse is different. And learning each horse, it, it takes time. And uh, as I started progressing with my roping and started progressing with my riding, that was something that was that I didn't realize that – you know, because like I said, when I got started, I was young, had a young horse, and she, she was she was broke. She wasn't, you know, dead broke, but, you know, she was a great starter horse. You know, would do anything, loved to rope, took care of me, and I didn't even realize it. You know, she'd score well, she'd run out of the box well, she'd write well. She did everything very well, and, and I, yet I didn't know it at the time, because I was young. I was like, oh. Gee, I've got this team up and stuff figured out. This can't be that hard, you know. Put some reins in your hand, the stirrups in your feet, and swing her up, and you're good to go. And it's that simple. It's that simple. By golly, you know. Lucky out, Trevor Brazil. Yeah, I was gonna say. Absolutely. They're just gonna <laughs> hand you the gold <laughs> buckle next year, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just gonna show up, and they're just gonna sign it over. Hey, Pat's here. Just go ahead and give that thing up right now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. I don't think so, Trev. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, but, yeah, but learning learning personalities of horses, because I, I tell people all the time, horses have twice the personality of any dog. They really do. They're, they're, uh, they're little quirks. They're little things that they do. It's, it's picking all of them up and then uh, trying to understand them. It's really, it's a passion type thing. It's something that you have to be passionate about and have to, do something that I'm not always the greatest about is try to be humble and try to learn from other people as much as you possibly can. You know, I mean, even though I firmly will always believe that I'll never know everything and I'll never need to stop learning, but sometimes somebody can see something that you don't see and they'll point that out. It's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but the, the best thing that you can do to further your ability is to be able to swallow that pill, no matter how it is. But, uh, anyway, I digress. Um, Rocked on through the through the years, uh, team roping. I moved out of Snyder. I moved over to, uh, in 1994, I moved over here to Odessa, Texas to uh, go to Odessa College and, and got on with the rodeo team. 
had the great pleasure of being around Coach Jim Watkins, such a great man, and a man that had a huge impact on my life and probably doesn't even realize it. But then again, that man has had an impact on so many people he couldn't count. Now, learned more and more. Um, got to going along, and uh, I wound up uh, getting out of college, kind of went to workforce, uh, went to work in the oil field, like everybody else in West Texas does. Uh, rocked on through that for some years and years, and I finally got the opportunity to do something I always wanted to do. Through the Boy Scouts, I, I met a man named Danny Bisbee, him and his son, Corey. Uh, still good friends. Danny had a full-filled heavy equipment business out here when I was growing up, and like I said, back then, the Boy Scouts were such a different different organization than they are now. Uh, Danny had uh, that oil-filled heavy equipment business, and the Boy Scouts were so different than they are now. Uh, he used to take backhoes and stuff down there, uh, other heavy equipment down to Fort Davis. But uh, a- anyway, um, I'd learned how to run heavy equipment at the Boy Scouts because Danny, he would take heavy equipment down there and work on that ranch during the summers and uh that was back at a time where they had no problem taking a six or seven year old kid and slapping them on a tractor and letting them move dirt that's insane it's in yeah and i i grew up running heavy equipment i started i ran my first backhoe when i was eight years old and fell in love with it i have a i have a bigger passion for heavy equipment as i do for horses i would say every kid every kid wants to own the big tonka trucks right but 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 to be able to drive it at eight years old (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've I've spent the past, even through growing up through high school and uh, working in the oil field, I I tried to get every operating job that I could running heavy equipment. And then uh, when I was about, uh, shoot, I want to say 23 years old or so, I had the opportunity to buy my own, my very first piece of equipment. I bought it and I started my own business and started moving dirt in the oil field. And, and uh, it's something that uh, that I've done. Ever since then, I'm now 42 years old and, and uh, have, have that passion for, for heavy equipment that I do for, for horses. And, and I, one, I guess one of the ways uh, what I'm trying to lead into was I found the best thing for me to do is learning heavy equipment and being a, an operator to where if you've never been on that piece of equipment, you can get on it and figure out that piece of equipment in five, ten minutes and kind of make it look like you've run it your whole life. I try to I try to carry that over to horses to where I can just get on a horse and look be on him five or ten minutes and I've got him figured out and that does not work well for me. That's horses are not that way. You have to spend lots of time around them and lots of times on their back and and uh, figuring out each little quirk that they have or, or what they do well or what they don't do well, what you can help them fix, what you can't help them fix. Become a team. That's that's the thing that is frustrating, but yet rewarding all at the same time. They're just a phenomenal animal. I completely agree. And I was going to say, in listening to, to both your guys' testimony, right, and kind of coming at it from two different angles, I think the parallel between both of you guys is just your constant pursuit of education, right? Trying to build on, on, on your own successes and not necessarily taking no for an answer, not getting discouraged. And I think you hit the nail absolutely on the head when you talk about a horse's personality is that horses aren't turnkey. You know, it's not like one vehicle where you just roll that key over and press on the long skinny pedal and it's going to go forward. You know, with horses, it does take a lot of, it takes a lot of self-reflection 
you know, what are you doing and how are you influencing that animal and how can you get better for it? And, and that's been Absolutely. the draw. That's been the draw for me is that, you know, I had a horse that's, I still have the horse and it was very limited in its skill set and its abilities. And, and we're growing and developing a lot of that stuff. And he's an older horse. But what I've noticed is it's not the horse getting better per se. It's me getting better of understanding what I'm doing and where I'm at, you know, and how I'm Absolutely. helping him along, you know. So mm-hmm. to say, yeah, the horse is getting better, right? You watch it ride and you watch it perform and it, and it is doing better. But early on in our relationship, I mean, I'm probably still to this day, I get in the way more than I do help. Oh, yeah. And for me... For me, the attraction is that pursuit of education, right? How good can you be? How consistent can you be? How soft can you be? You know, how subtle can you be? Can you get on that horse and make it look like you're not doing anything at all? And that horse is just flying yeah. all over the arena doing a bunch of cool stuff. So um, yes. I can completely relate to your pursuit of education of the horses and, and the fascination with it. And you are absolutely right. At times it gets more than frustrating where you just don't want to have anything to do with it, but that's the grace of it. Yeah, absolutely. It is the grace of it. And and the thing about horses, if you're in the equine industry or if you're just in into horses, it really doesn't matter what level you're in. If you're if you compete, if you don't, if you just have horses, if you just trail ride or if you're a pro rodeo guy or or what, the one thing that we all have in common is adversity. You face it every day. If you no matter the level of, that you're at, if you understand one that horses are, there's not anything else like them that it that it's always a learning process and that you're always going to learn. You're going to understand adversity. That's just that's just the way it is. Whether you, like I said, whether you compete and at the professional level or the amateur level or not at all, you're going to be humbled. That's a good point that you make. You know, because the adversity it's scalable, right? It's it's all absolutely. It's all relative, you know, because. One man struggle, you know, you know, a guy may have a hard time paying a bill, right? Or putting food on the table or, or being comfortable in his own skin or whatever it may be. You know, adversity is adversity. And, and the horse does have a tendency to, as we try to find patience in the horse, we actually find it in ourselves. I agree. Absolutely. And that's one of the hardest things for me to learn is, is I, I, I will freely admit I have next to no patience at all. And, uh, but I, I'm learning. And, and always learning and always growing in that. And it's that's the thing between between the adversity and understanding how to handle adversity and how to uh, how to let yourself grow. It's it's an amazing journey. And it doesn't really matter where you're at on that scale, whether you're on the small end or the big end. It's it's something that horses promote growth. Yeah. And you got you got me thinking about a point in growing up and me playing sports. And I, I might have mentioned it before on the show. The only reason I had the success that I had is because I was just, I was terrified of failing. I did yeah. not want to fail. I did not want to fail my parents. I did not want to fail my coaches. I did not want to fail my trainers. I did not want to fail my teammates. I did not want to fail myself, right? Just mm-hmm. absolutely in fear of failure. And it wasn't until probably within the last year, listening to another podcast, it was a mixed martial arts podcast and, and the guy speaking on it talks about seeking failure. He says, when I go out sure. and train, I seek failure. I try to find failure as fast as I possibly can because the sooner I fail, the sooner I learn, the sooner I learn, the sooner I grow. And I've wow. tried to apply a lot of that to my horsemanship over the last year. And it's true, you know, there's we're all gonna have stuff to work on all the sure. time. It is what it is, right? But absolutely the sooner you seek those holes in your game or the problems or or try to plug those holes, I mean the better you are instead of just sitting back and, you know, hey, I don't wanna 
lope this horse a certain direction or I don't want to perform a certain maneuver or you know what, hey, that steer gets my horse sure. way too keyed up. I don't want to, I don't want to run that one through the chutes, you know, rather than finding that problem, finding out the root of that problem, you know, and, and overcoming Absolutely. it. And it's a lot more, I've been a lot more tolerant of myself, I guess, after learning that perspective, you know, hey, sure. it's okay to fall on your face. You know, absolutely. But what's what's more important is how you stand back up. Uh, I absolutely agree. Yes, definitely. I, when um, when I first, uh, well, I, I guess to tell the story about Mariah, uh, I, I have to kind of back up a little, and it it'll lead into what what you and I were just talking about. I first met Mariah. She was a young girl. I, I worked with both of her parents. Uh, her parents worked for a very good friend of mine that's also in the oilfield dirt business, and. Um, for years and years and years, her father would tell me, hey, uh, Mariah's wanting some roping lessons. I'm like, well, hey, send her on over to the house. I'll, I'll help her out. And uh, she never showed up, never showed up. Well, finally, she fast forward years. Years later, she finally did. She started coming over, and um, I was I would help her out. And, and uh, my, my wife had such a huge leg up on learning team roping because, one, she, she can really ride a horse. She she fits and rides a horse very well, and two she had a very 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 good head horse already. So it was, and she could swing her rope. So it was it wasn't that hard to really kind of you know make that transition. Yeah, exactly, kind of get her going. But one of the things I used to tell her all the time, she, she you know, and, and even Mariah is she's a like me, she's a humble but competitive person. She just rode into the practice arena and expected to be able to rope 20 for 20 and turn them in four seconds. Yeah. You know, and, and was just, and I'm like, Hey, it, it doesn't work this way. And that's, I would tell her every day, this is where you want to miss. This is not where you want to go out and catch 20 for 20. This is where we're going to, we're going to tear you down. We're going to find your holes and that's where we're going to work on. Yeah. And we're going to work on the holes. And, and, um, and in doing that, it, it, it has made her, a, a very, very good roper. She she ropes well. And, and the surprising thing about uh, her coming over was that uh, she, I never even even thought about this, but she she started helping me and helped me more and more with riding, with cueing horses and, and uh, horse care and, and stuff like that. It was just, uh, it, it's, it's um, it, you know, she's helped me as much as I've helped her. And, and it's been a, it's been a great partnership and a great friendship and a great love. It parallels horsemanship, right? Because oftentimes we're trying to fix oh. the horse, but but how often does the horse fix us? Absolutely, yes, you know? definitely, definitely, yes, sir. And and that's it. I've always tried to take good care of my horses, and and it, and at times I've well, not at times I've thought, uh, man, I'm doing absolutely everything I possibly can for this horse. And one of the lessons that I got was that I wasn't. Um, Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I'll come right down. It was this feeding program. The feeding program I had was the generic out of the box feeding program. That's just the bag of grain or from your local maker. And, and Hey, back up. That's all horses need. You yeah. Know, feeding grain. That's, that's, uh, that's it. And, and, uh, um, Mariah helped me very, very quickly figure out that that was wrong, that, uh, supplements are there for a reason and that each supplement has a purpose and it helps. And but I've I've always believed that you know horses are especially competition horses. They're uh, they're like any other piece of equipment that you have. If you don't take care of them, they won't take care of you. And uh, so, but couple that with the fact that they're a living, breathing animal. That they 
they're only going to compete at their dead level best when you have them at their dead level best. So that's been a life lesson too with competition horses that, uh, that has really made, helped me grow and, and helped me realize, Hey, every, every one of the horses we have on our place, uh, they're all special to us and we all love them. But we also, every time we look at them, we're also looking at them with an objective eye, making sure, Hey, are they walking correctly? Are they, are they acting correctly? This one's over here licking his lips. Okay. He's good. This one's over here pointing, you know, yeah. this one's, you know, just a bunch of different scenarios, just keeping an eye, you know, because it, it, if you learn to read a horse, they'll tell you that they're having a problem. They'll tell you a lot. And it's just, it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's just putting away the human thought of, oh, it's just a horse to looking at that animal objectively. Yeah. And always asking yourself why. Exactly. Hey, yeah, exactly. Why is, hey, instead of thinking, hey, that's cute. He's over there scratching his rear on the fence. You might be thinking, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Hey, I might need to worm him. Yeah, it might, it might be time to worm the horse, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, I mean, you know, learning to read the horses is, is is just as important. And something that you talked about earlier that I couldn't agree with you more is tact. Yeah. Um, fitment, of, fitment of tact these days has changed so much because the, the horses have changed so much. And if uh, if you have a Ferrari and you run it on cheap tires, you're going to have a problem. It's it's very much the same way of attacking horses. I completely agree. And part of the advent of this podcast or an intention of this podcast is kind of raising the bar of the common level of, of education in horses, you know, and, and this is no yeah. fault to anybody and I'm just as guilty as the next man, but we pattern our activities after somebody that we we trusted or somebody that we think is more knowledgeable than us. Sure. And for, yes, sir. for a lot of people, they just accept that. Yeah. For me... I wanted to know more and I wanted to learn more. And there's a lot of small changes that you can make in these animals' activities, whether it you know, be diet or stretching or tack, that can make a huge, huge difference. You know, I was just out with some folks that run barrels the other day and she was saying, you know, my horse is, he grunts a little bit when I get into the barrel and I turn him and, you know, I don't yeah. know that my saddle necessarily fits correctly. And, and she was correct. It didn't fit correctly. And we had done some stuff on his top line and I said, man, your horse is sore, like sore, sore. And he's really tight in the back. And, you know, how often do you stretch your horse? And, and she said, yeah. well, well, I, I don't, you know, I've never really been taught how. And this is zero fault to her, right? Sure, exactly. So I kind of had a conversation with her that, that I've had with a lot of vets and showed her some very, very basic top line stretches. And it wasn't 10 days later, she ran that horse in another barrel race and ran the fastest time that she had ever ran on that horse. Oh, wow. And we made some small adjustments to her program. And, and now that horse sure. is starting to be a lot more free. And she said, that horse doesn't make a peep when we go around barrels now, you know, but it's yeah. just, it's just raising that bar just a little bit more, you know, just a little bit Absolutely. more. Absolutely. And in no way, shape yeah. or form am I claiming to be an expert in this, right? I, I am of the same mindset that you are. I will never be good at horses or horsemanship or any of it, but I will always be in pursuit of that education and trying to get to the next level. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was, jokingly, we were talking about Trevor giving me the gold buckle, but Trev, if you're listening, I'm pretty sure that saddle's safe. You don't have to worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I'm the, the same way with uh, everything that I have going on in life. I don't ever get to spend as much time on horseback as I want to. But exactly, but you got to make you got to be efficient with the time that you have, you know. And that's where I think exactly for me. I got a late jump in this horsemanship thing. I, I did horses when I was younger, went the baseball route, and got back into horses, you know, within the last oh seven eight years. But sure. I'm I'm cognizant that I don't know anything. I'm cognizant that I'm late on the on the jump. 
you know, or I'm, I'm late on the yeah. late to the party per se. So I try to just be the education helps me be as efficient as I possibly can because I don't have Absolutely. another 40 years to figure things out. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And, and that's the beauty of it with with the with the right mindset and attitude. You can overcome the time that it takes to get all that. You, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, a friend of mine that I've known for a long time, the perfect example, Patrick Smith, you know, he's two time world champion team roper. He didn't start riding horses till he was 16 years old. His story is absolutely incredible. Well, he just put it in a full throttle real fast. Yeah, absolutely. And and the way he put it into full throttle is he became a sponge. Yeah. He he just absorbed everything he could. And by doing that and being able to open his mind the way he has, he was able to overcome years. You know, yeah. he, he was able to cram a lot of experience in a small amount of time. And it's helpful. It's super, super helpful. I, I, I have to admit, I wished I could open my mind like that, you know, when it comes to animals and when it comes to horses. Even, even though my mind is open, the, the, at the progression rate that he had, it was just astounding. Yeah, it's a next, next level type stuff. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Well, for both of you, you guys, you guys got quite the journey. Obviously, different avenues and driving different, driving different motivations. And for Mariah, kind of the, the injury rehabilitation side of it, for you, the constant pursuit of education. And, and here we are today where, where you guys cross paths, get hitched, and Trinity Equine Services comes to light in the last few years. So if you guys don't mind, you know, let's get into the, into the, the program and, and your foundation in it and your goals, and, and we'll just start from square one, how it came to be. I know we mentioned it earlier that you bought the spa from fellow Truth Saddlery team member. And what your goals are for this program? Absolutely, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Mariah uh, answer most of this, and I'll tell you quite honestly why. This business is one of three businesses that we have. Oh Lord! And yeah, yeah, and and on top of that, we we also compete in rodeo, so <laughs> we we stay busy. Um, when I will say this about it, when uh, when Mariah told me about uh, Superior Saltwater Spas coming up for sale from Fallon, I was excited. Uh, I wanted to jump right on it because um, my number one stick in, in team roping that I have an old bay head horse, old bay gelding that's he's papered, but we don't have papers. So for the sake of argument, he's great. Uh, he's just one of those horses that he's a pickup truck. You know, he, he just works yeah. and, and works well. He, and, and, and through this education base that, that I've been going through, through supplements and how to ride, him better and how to fit him better uh that old pickup truck has quote unquote gotten a turbocharger put on him he's, i was gonna he's say you got some new tires there. on it he's got some new tires <laughs> hey, we, we, we've got a, a new farrier they've been put new tires on him the supplements have got a little octane based in his system and and a horse that i was ready to retire when he was 18 years old uh last year i took that 21 year old head horse to the world's uh the u.s finals in oklahoma city and won a very good check on it that's and impressive phenomenal that's impressive and, and then exit is and then i i loaded i loaded him up and took him to vegas at the world series finals and we didn't have any luck out there but he i i roped well we had we had some partner issues but i i roped well and and he he couldn't work any better than, than i asked him to and this horse uh he's he's just I want to say he's he's a phenom, but the truth is, through proper care and proper maintenance of him, is is we've we've taken this horse and just made him work really well. He's twenty twenty one, fixing to go on twenty two, 
and he literally looks like he's 10 years old. That's incredible. It's incredible. It's that, amazing. I mean, yeah. you guys get another life rope and ride another three plus years out of him. He's probably way he's, more comfortable than he's ever been, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. And I've also, I had my wife take him and, and teach him how to barrel race. And, and he he's a not a super fast horse. I think he would run 3D. So the, the first barrel race that I took him to, I think it was back in uh, 2016. It was. It was 2016. He hadn't seen the barrels maybe for three weeks. And I took him to a little jackpot and I did a couple exhibitions on him. That was it. Took him out to that barrel race and he ended up winning the 5D average. So nothing major, no. But for a horse his age, that to me was pretty, it was kind of speaking a lot of volumes about him and the potential that he had. And ever since then, he had just been getting better and better. And the last time I ran him, heck, he he ran in place in the 3D. That's incredible. You go you go from a, a one trick pony to a two sport athlete, huh? Exactly. He he surprised me, and I told Pat jokingly, I said, "Man, I wish I would have had him when he was five years old." There's no telling what he would have yeah. done then. But funny enough, that barrel race that I took him to, where he uh, he went, ended up winning the 5D average. That was my first encounter with Superior Saltwater Spa. Oh no, Fallon had. Fallon had it mobile. Uh, it was in a trailer at the time. I had heard about it. I had seen about it. And uh, she had it parked up there right next to the arena. And I thought, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. He's he's old. It won't hurt anything. If anything, it'll help exactly, him out. Exactly, yeah. And uh, he, he went right up in that trailer. He went right in the spa. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. He was licking his lips the whole time. He was breathing real good out of his nostril. I mean, just the things that you can do when you know that a horse likes something, you know, after you get to know that horse or whatever, or knowing what horses do when they like something. Mm-hmm. He he was doing all of his, his signs of, hey, I really like this. It feels good on my legs. I really like what's going on here. Um, they, it's a 10-minute treatment. So after his 10 minutes was over, he just very gently walked right out of the trailer. And that was that was after the first day, after I had run him the first day that I had him treated and went out the very next day and he ran what was it? I think at least one tenth or two tenths, something fast. He he ran he ran faster than he did the day before. That's incredible. And I went I went immediately and I, I we treated him again that evening before we left. But he absolutely loved it. And I saw the results that he had on his legs, what it did with his wind puffs, how his legs felt when he came out of the spa. I mean, when when you put them in it and you feel the heat in their legs after a long day or a hot day or a hard day of competition or competing or riding or whatever, before you go to put them in that spa, it's really cool. You can look at their legs. And if, as you know, your horse's legs and everything, you can see the things that they've got going on. When they come out of that spa, their legs are tight. They feel they feel completely different. Their their wind puffs are either gone or completely drastically reduced. Or it it was mind blowing to me to think, golly, just a cold water spa for ten minutes did this. That's what made my horse's legs look like that. So that's what I want to get into before we get too deep into the actual the the company and the premise of it. But um, mm-hmm. explain the piece of equipment, how it works, how it benefits the horse, its its intended uses. Exactly. So. The spa, it's an ECB saltwater spa. And what that is, is it's its kind of like a giant cold water bath for an athlete. You know, after a competition or something, how most humans, they'll get in a big ice bath. Oh, yeah. So it, it's kind of like that, but it's also with saltwater, which saltwater, you know, as everybody knows, Epsom salt is incredibly great for drying out inflammation. It reduces swelling. It makes your, It relaxes your muscles. So all of this is all incorporated into that spa. It's kind of like a giant tank. You put them in it. 
you fill it up to their legs. Uh, right, I like it kind of right above their hocks. And you kick it on, and that, that water is 37 degrees. Oh. So it's it's essentially, yes, it's 35 to 37 degrees. It, it just kind of very depends. It, it does not get any warmer than 37 degrees, though. It's got jets in the bottom of the flooring. So as it fills up from the bottom and comes up, after you get to your desired full level, you kick on the pump, and it starts massaging their legs. And what that does is that disperses all of the oxygen and everything within it, and it also acts as kind of a reliever, I guess, for their legs as it's sitting there massaging their legs. It's awesome. It feels really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get in it, but it's going to be next year when it's <laughs> when it's 100 degrees outside yeah, and say. it's been hot and I've been riding, but I'm not getting in it this winter. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing it. But uh, it's, it is incredible. It's very – some horses, they're a little skeptical of it at first, especially some that have issues with stocks or if they're nervous about stocks. It, it can feel kind of like they're going into a really claustrophobic stock-type situation. But once they get in it and after a couple of treatments, I've seen some too, especially my personal horses, those that were kind of skeptic about it. And they're like, no, I'm not going in that giant thing that's going to kill me. After about the second or third time, I can use – there's there's two doors on it. There's a really larger door that accompanies with a rear strap that goes over their back to keep them from coming out of it in the event they panic. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a smaller door that allows them to be more relaxed. I love using the smaller door because it really opens up everything and just kind of makes them feel like they're a way more comfortable as opposed to the larger door. I'm glad it's got that safety strap on it because as you're describing it, I'm thinking, man, you put a horse in there that's sensitive and you turn those jets on yes. underneath them and they're going to blow up out of that deal. Exactly. And that's that's why they did that, because I think that during the trial and testing, they probably had a few horses that decided they wanted to come out of that thing. And trying to get a horse out of freezing cold water, that's, you know, those jets, when they first kick on, it kind of does make a really loud whining and whistling noise. Mm-hmm. And then as you're, you're turning on the aeration of those jets, as it bubbles, it starts out real, real small, real little amount of bubbles. And then as you crank it up, it gets real big and it starts, that water gets to moving and it gets to moving really quickly. It's awesome. And it's funny because I oftentimes have conversations with folks about, you know, performance athletes and how we can apply a lot of that stuff to horses. And, and I mean, Mm -hmm. ice baths and hot tubs and doing the circulation of both of those treatments. I mean, it's pretty much fundamental in any superior athletic field. So why not bring it to the, Mm -hmm. to the horse industry? Because after all, we're asking way more of these animals than a typical horse is supposed to be able to do. Exactly. And that's, that was one of the things that I learned uh, with Easy Moons, you know, when he, when we were trying to recuperate him, we had designed it and it was, it was redneck done. Oh my goodness. Was it redneck done? I think we cut the bottoms off of an old pair of jeans and (laughs) sewed the bottom of it shut so we could stick his leg down in it. And we filled the bag full of ice and salt mm-hmm. and a little bit of, of water as much as it was hold, you know, coming out of the denim and everything, but just to keep the ice cold yeah. and we would ice down his legs. Of course, I think that was when they finally, you know, there's been some, some companies, I think soft rides come out with some now, but they're actual boots that you can put up on your, le- your horse's legs mm-hmm. that, you know, accompany the water and the ice and everything. But if you're going ahead and you're soaking your horse's legs, or if you rinse them off after competition, this is essentially the same thing, but it does it way fast, a lot faster and is more it's more economical and better for your horse because it also has the Epsom salt in it as well as being salt water. So it's kinda like taking your horse to the beach but 
a lot colder. Yeah, I was going to say it makes a lot more sense because that horse's legs completely mm-hmm. immersed versus just spraying whatever you can get with a hose. Exactly. And hose water is only going to get so cold and it doesn't obviously have the, the sodium element to it. Right. And this, uh, this constantly is recirculating. So the water stays clean and it goes through a massive filtration system, which also helps keep everything clean for in the event. They're, they're, I clean them off before they go in it. But, you know, you want your water as clean as possible. I would say it's a horse, right? You can only get it so clean. Right, exactly. And, you, you know, you don't want to, I guess, mess with the balance of the water in the spa. So we do keep an eye on that. That's something else that, you know, we have to take into consideration. But it's, we love it. I can't wait to get in it to see what it's going to do. I have bad knees, so I can't wait to see what it's going to do for my knees. <laughs> So I was going to say, how do you guys, how do you guys incorporate this treatment into your program? You know, I know you guys do a little bit of training with horses out there and obviously you rope uh-huh. quite a bit. So yes, sir. let's go into, you know, and Pat kind of alluded towards diet and some other things and tack. Uh-huh. Uh, what is, what is the foundation of your program and, and how do you guys work through your treatment and rehabilitation and development of horses out there? So right now uh, with us just kind of getting started is the foundation of it is we're really into rehabilitating injured horses. You know, I, I love and I want to start getting some outside horses that we know have issues and we know what their issues are. I do have one right now. They're not here full time. They don't keep their horse here, but he actually tore. And I right off the top of my head, I cannot remember what that tendon is called, but it has a name, but he tore the tendon that runs over the navicular bone in his foot. Ironically enough, I have dealt with this in my mom's, that Palomino horse that I had dash. He had it. He tore in both feet, but their head horse, he's, he did tear the tendon that runs over his navicular bone. So I've been getting to, to try this out and test it out on him and see how he's doing because hydrotherapy was one of the recommendations that the vet told him to do, which is what was told for us. So he's he's kind of my first outside clientele horse that is getting hauled to us to treat. We treat him once a month. Um, we've talked about what they can do at their house to treat him essentially the same way that we can here. That way they're not having to haul to us as frequently. Um, but he's one that we want to rehab. But that's that's kind of what I, I want to start doing is taking outside horses, horses that are injured or horses that people just want conditioned. As I love getting horses fit and in shape now and having them best be able to perform at the best of their peak ability, which is everything from riding and, you know, working on their fundamentals, their handles and uh, their exercise, conditioning them for what they need. And helping them out with any kind of therapy if they need, you know, just treatment while they're here and and getting worked on and getting trained on. We've got the spa. We're working on getting, my mom has a TheraPlate, but that's one that we will incorporate later on once we get the spa mobile. It's stationary again right now. We had to pull it out of the trailer. But Pat, being the hand that he is, he's going to build us a, a mobile trailer so we can get it mobile again. But we're going to incorporate a TheraPlate, which I love and I've had success with as well on on working with these horses. And my mom has the uh, the PEMF, the Pulse Magnetic Electro Field Machine, I think is what the PEMF stands for. That's that's her deal. She's the other part of the Trinity Equine. She's certified in that. She knows everything about it, all the ins and outs of it. And that's already mobile because it's just a little device with with the uh, the loops, as they're called. Yeah, it's on a little push cart type deal. Uh huh. She, well, she can carry it around, so it's it's perfect, and that's that's one that we already have with us going to places right now. We're not pushing it, but it we do have it. It is there, but the spa right now is what what we're trying to get up and going and and get out there and let everybody know, hey, we have this. It's here. Come help your horses. I was gonna say you start dragging that thing to the ropings. I don't see why you guys wouldn't be making quite a bit of money on that. You know, people run their exactly. horses through and get done with the. The roping, untack the horse, and then run it through the trailer real quick and put them up for the night. 
Right. And that's what, that's our long-term goal. Uh, we're hoping he's going to start working on the new trailer that we bought for it uh, this winter, since it's going to be kind of wet and miserable and cold is, is what we're hearing. We don't know for sure that's going to happen, but we're regardless, we're going to work on it this winter and try to get it back in the trailer and get it mounted again so we can get it mobile. And that we're going to hope to take it to uh, some of Pat's cousins. They put on barrel races out kind of around the Abilene area, Weatherford, places like that. We're going to haul to bigger barrel races. And then we're going to haul to pretty much every team open. If we're going, it's going with Yeah, us. I was going to say two trailers now, one with the horse and one with the, the spa <laughs> in it. Spa, exactly. So it, it'll be... It'll be a little bit more money, but it's it's worth it if we get to help people's horses. And that's the biggest thing in all this, right? Is it just trying to help the potential of the animal? And God, they give the world to us. And it's nice that, that people are out there motivating, trying to give more back. Exactly. And I'm not going to push something that I don't believe in. And I haven't had personal results with, with myself that I've been able to to witness and see on my horses, how they respond to it and how they've done with this treatment or how how they've done with, you know, with the the spa, for example, I, if I hadn't had Pat's head horse put in it, Dweezil, if I would have never put him in it, when Fallon told me she was selling it, I probably never would have looked at it. Yeah. But because I've had my horses in it and I've experienced what it can do. And now that I have it at my house and I get to treat them as much as I want and I can see what it does for them, I completely believe in it. Yeah, I love it. It's a no brainer at that point. Exactly. Yeah, that's in, absolutely. And that's really one of my goals with it is that, not so much as as much rehabilitation as it is rejuvenation. Yeah, exactly. The older horses, I've had to learn because it's been proven to me, you know, through what we were talking about, like I said, once again, with, with tack and supplements and all of that stuff, is that you can, you can take a horse that somebody might have rode off and learn how to help him better and make him possibly the best horse you've ever had. Mm-hmm. As I was say, it could be and a better that, horse than what you started with. It, exactly. It, absolutely. And, and the irony, like the, the old bay horse that we have here, he literally is, I've, I've had him for 10 years, actually 11 years now. He's better now than when he was when he was 11. That's incredible. It is. And, and, and he, he's like a wine. He keeps getting better with that. <laughs> and I can tell you when, when the day comes, when he, he does just get to enjoy his retirement, it, it's going to break my heart. But uh, he is so good that I'm not going to ride him until he's crippled. You know, I mean, he's already earned his keep. He'll he'll be here till the end of time. But uh, I mean, it's that's something that I'm passionate about. Is because you see it, you see it a lot, especially with team ropers. As as human beings, um, they don't really understand the partnership between the horse and the rider. No, it's just, just a tool. Just jump on the horse, just a exactly. tool. Exactly. I heck sell him. I'll get a faster one. You yeah. Know? Yeah, or I'll, you know, you always see people changing horses, or or people that are riding horses that are hurting, and they don't even realize it. Oh and that's a way for us to say, hey, you <laughs> let us let us help you. Let us help you get that horse to be better, and and in turn, making him better is going to make you better. It's going to make you guys work better, and you're going to see better results. Your win percentages yeah. might start going up too. Catch percentages <laughs> go up, win percentages go up, and your horses. Your horse is working better than ever, and he's not hurting. He's an older horse that's not hurting, but but maybe he'll just work better. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And and when you start to look at this, uh, this is just my perspective on it, especially in performance horse industries. I mean, you push these horses farther and harder than any other horse. You spend tons mm-hmm. and tons of money on them, right? The actual purchase right. of the horse, 
right? And then you got maintenance training and supplements and feed and specialists and all sorts of stuff just to go down the road and win. Okay, so why aren't you going to take care of your investment, right? Why aren't you going... I mean, you don't buy a house and just let it fall fall to pieces. You don't buy a car and never change the oil or never change the tires. You know, I think there's a huge void in the performance horse industry, like you talked about, just in the maintenance and the care and and keeping the horse legged up and healthy. And, And I think you guys have a huge opportunity to start changing the perspective within the industry, not only just in your program, you know? I see it a lot in team roping. I know, I know sometimes, you know, having been a barrel racer for so long, I know that it can just seem like the, the crazy barrel racer stigmata. It seems like they can kind of go above and beyond everything. But then you go the completely, it's like the pendulum drastically swings over here into team roping. I can't tell you how many times I walked by our horse's stall. Like when we were in Oklahoma uh, last weekend, uh, this, this horse had no shavings in his stall. And he's he's standing there on concrete for three days. The stall was not clean. His water was dirty. And this was a horse that was just across the way from where, you know, we were stalling ours. There was glass beer bottles in that stall with him. And I'm thinking, oh, my, oh my God. Are you serious? How can you do this? How can you do that to your to, horse? Got to the, the national finals that you know, I mean, and I'm, we, we don't know who it was and not finger pointing or name pointing or anything, but it's something that you see a lot. And and it leads right into what you were saying. You're going to spend an unlimited, possibly an unlimited amount of money for a head horse. And yet you're not going to spend $40 in shavings to make sure he's comfortable yeah. or a hundred dollars in shavings. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, and, and uh, so we're just trying to, we're passionate about, like I said, about the education side of it, trying to get people to realize, hey, learn learn your horse. Learn if he's hurting. Learn if he's uncomfortable. Learn if he's not working right, if his times are off, or if he's not handling the steer right, or if he's not facing correctly, you know, because you can, you can help him, and you can repair him. Mm-hmm. You absolutely can. And, and one of the things that I'm passionate about is, is trying to get a lot more people to understand that there's in the horse industry, there's a ton of products out there right now that really, really help. And, but you have to be open-minded enough to try them out. Correct. You know, correct. Exactly. You know, be it, be it a a Theraplate or the pulse machine or even our, our or PHT magnetics. Those, that's a phenomenal product. And, And if to any of the listeners out there, change your mindset about what you think is voodoo or what you think is just a bunch of BS uh, because there are some stuff out there for a small amount to a medium amount of money investing in. You can get phenomenal results out of your horses. And I personally believe that that PHT magnetics is one of those products. Um, But, uh, but I mean, there there's, you know, you go down to ice vibe boots, uh, back on track products or stuff. You know, there's so much stuff out there now that you can help your horses with. And everything works different for different horses. It does, absolutely. And you've got to hunt around and find what that product is. But if you don't allow yourself, you don't open your mind and allow yourself to try that stuff, you're overlooking something that can greatly help. Yeah, it's uh and that's that's the biggest thing in all of this and you know, we've hit on it quite a few times in this conversation is that every athlete is its own 
challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Exactly. Mentally and physically and how they performance and how they respond to treatments and diets and tack and all that stuff. So it's absolutely in raising that level of education, you know, you hope you motivate people to try to find the winning combination for their horse because, you know, what might be awesome for your animals is probably not going to work for mine or might not work for mine and, and vice versa, absolutely. you know? Exactly. But it's just see- seeking out that winning combination in all of it. Yes, sir. It's, it's wanting to do better for your horse and just being open-minded about trying things that, yeah. you know, it, they are horses. Like you said, they're an investment from the minute that the, from the second that you hand that check over to that person and you get that horse and you take them home, that's your investment. Correct. So why are you not going to take care of it because of what they're doing for you? Absolutely. No, it's been a been a great conversation with you guys. And, and like I said, this is my first tandem interview here on the podcast. And I appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules, being that you run three companies and rope and and everything you guys got going on. But typically, uh, towards the end of conversations, I like to allow guests the opportunity to kind of sell yourself and, and tell folks where they can find you, where they can find uh, information on, on Trinity Equine Services. So if you guys have social media websites, any of that stuff, go ahead and let listeners know. Sure. I'll, I'll let uh, Mariah take over from here. Well, we are located in the heart of the oil and gas industry out here in West Texas. Don't hold it against us. <laughs> um, <laughs> Beautiful country, we, uh, by the way, right? Oh, yes. It's beautiful, flat, and dry without any of the gorgeous scenery. Uh, we uh, we do have the Facebook page, which is Superior Saltwater Spa, and then also our Instagram, which is it is Trinity Equine because it covers everything. It's not just going to cover the spa. It's going to cover uh, our horses, our program. It's going to cover feeding and uh, supplements and everything. I haven't been able to work on it as much as everything's going on with the Facebook page, uh, but there is the website also. It's superiorsaltwaterspa.com. And if anybody ever wanted to get in contact with us, you can shoot us a text. Our phone numbers are out there. You can get on the Facebook page or Instagram and send us some messages and, and ask questions and come see us. We we would love to talk to anybody and love to answer questions and share results and stories and, and testimonies that people have had. No, it's great stuff. And and one of the last things we do here on the show is any any final message or parting words you would like to share with guests. I know we covered a lot of ground, but but if you guys have any final words. Final words that I want to say is when you take care of your horses as much as they take care of us, why would you want to do anything else? Yeah. <laughs> because if there are investments and we have to take care of them. They're giving us their all and I want to give my all to them. I completely agree. Couldn't have said it better. Well, Pat, Mariah, again, I thank you very, very much for your time. And, and hopefully with the, the growing business and stuff, we can cross paths again and maybe have you guys back on the show here and shortly and, and find out where the equine services have gone. Yes, sir. Fantastic. That sounds great. All right, guys. Well, you have a good one and we'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jason. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.